Now Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, the section we have read, verse 10 to 20. And we were looking at this passage this morning. As Christians, we are called to be soldiers. The apostle tells us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Why should Paul use this picture, illustration? Well, as I said, when we read the Bible, Paul was in a prison in Rome because he'd been preaching about Christ, and there was a soldier next to him. Of course, the soldier wouldn't have been wearing all this armour just to keep watch of a prisoner. And uh, probably Paul was chained to the Roman soldier. And also this idea of the soldier and the uh, belt of truth and breastplate of righteousness uh, is rooted in the Old Testament. There are various verses in the book of Isaiah and uh, that talk about God with a breastplate of righteousness and so on. And Paul picks that up and says this is like the soldier. Christians are soldiers and here in this chapter are our marching orders. So the Christian life is not for wimps, but for warriors. For an easy life, well, this is where you exit. The Christian life is not for you. But you want a life of challenge, it's going to take courage, then the Christian life is for you. The Christian life is not easy. As I say, it's not for wimps, it's for warriors. With God's strength and God's power. And so there are these six pieces of armour that we have to put on every day. We have to put these pieces of armour on to remind ourselves that we are soldiers. We're in a warfare. There's a battle going on and we've got to stand firm and be strong for the Lord. There's the belt of truth, verse 14. The breastplate of righteousness, verse 14. The shoes, verse 15. The shield of faith, verse 16. Helmet of salvation, verse 17 and the sword of the spirit and we put each piece on with prayer I think Charles Wesley says that in one of his hymns because he talks about prayer verse 18 praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication John Bunyan in his Pilgrim's Progress says that this is the weapon of all prayer as I said this morning another writer says that we fight on our knees we pray and as we pray so God gives us strength to fight courageously to go marching on in harmony with other Christians in this great spiritual holy war five weapons for defense the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet one for off, offense, attack, the sword of the spirit so let's look at the belt and then at the breastplate. Verse 14, stand, having fastened on the belt of truth. So the belt held all the other pieces of the armour together. Let's look at the piece of armour and then at the spiritual meaning. The Roman soldier had long flowing robes and he would 
tuck up those robes into his belt so that he was ready to fight. He couldn't fight with the robes down to his feet, could he? He had to be marching, he had to be ready to face the enemy with his sword and his weapons and so on. So he'd wrap up his robes into his belt. It was made of uh, leather and from it hung thongs with uh, uh, metal plates <coughs> attached to him. So they attached to the belt. So the belt would protect the lower part of his body. And he had freedom to move, to march, to fight in the war. And uh, once the belt was put on, the soldier was ready for war at a moment's notice. The belt gave him a sense of security. But what is the spiritual meaning? He says that we as Christian soldiers are to put on the belt of truth. Now what's meant by truth here? Well, some of the writers on Ephesians 6 say the belt is the Bible. Others say, no, it's truthfulness, sincerity. But I like those writers who say, why not combine both? The belt is truth, in the sense it's God's word, and the truth is sincerity, truthfulness. Why should we not combine the two? And uh, because the uh, Christian is a living Bible. He believes the Bible and he lives the Bible. So believing the Bible, the truth is God's word. Living the Bible, the truth is sincerity. So what we believe, we take into our lives. And that's very important. Scripture and sincerity. In verse 17 he talks about the sword of the spirit which she says is the word of God. So he's showing us how to use the word of God. Here the focus is on the truth itself. So scripture, just before his death, Jesus prayed to God his Father. You read it in John 17. It's just within hours of his death. He's praying and he says to God his Father, your word is truth. Your word is truth. So to put on the belt of God's word, of truth, gives us, uh, it, is, it means confidence in the Bible. It gives us confidence. God's word gives us strength. It gives us confidence. Why do we call the Bible God's word? Because Paul tells Timothy that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's breathed out from God. When we read the Bible, it's as if God is speaking to us. And every word of the Bible is the word of God. We believe as Christians that the Bible is free from error. The clever theologians use the word inerrancy. Every word of the Bible is true. It's reliable. It's God's word. You can rest your eternal soul on what God has said in the scriptures and he has said that we are sinners and that God is holy and he said in his word that the only way we can come to him the holy God is through Jesus Christ 
who said I am the truth who died on the cross there he shed his blood and by putting on the belt of truth we do not depend on feelings but on what God has said if God has said it it's true if God has said it I can trust my eternal soul on what he has said and I do not depend on what I feel and what I don't feel I trust in what God has said in his word he has said if I come to him in repentance and faith he will accept me he will forgive me and that is true because God has said it I don't have to depend on feelings someday I feel more like praying other days I don't feel so much like praying some days I feel pretty good and pleased with myself. Other days I feel, well, a bit downhearted and discouraged and I wonder where God is and whether God loves me. So it's not what I feel, it is what God has said in his word that gives me stability and security as a Christian. We look back to chapter 4 of Ephesians and verse 14. This is why we need the belt on so that we will be mature and stable uh, in verse uh, 14 of chapter 4 he says in the previous verse he prays that we may come to uh, maturity in Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So we put on the belt of truth because it gives us stability, it gives us maturity as we grow in our understanding of the word, as we come nearer to God. So we grow from children to uh, mature adult Christians. The child always wants new things, he wants new toys, <coughs> new things, uh, new experiences, excitement. But the Christian says, give me the Bible. I want the Bible. And the more the Bible I've got, the better. And that gives me maturity. Gives me understanding. It helps me to stand in the battle against Satan. I'm not always looking for something new. Some new experience. Some new sensation. No, no. I come to what God has said in the Bible. So the Bible equips us to resist temptation. It de uh, helps us to detect error. Uh, he talks in that verse in 14 about the cunning craftiness of men the false teachers coming into Ephesus into the uh, early churches bringing false doctrine the word of truth put on your belt you'll know then what is truth what is error it'll give you uh, discernment it'll give you discrimination you'll know what is right what God has said and also the Bible gives us comfort when we're in trouble, when we're sorrowful. We come to the Bible and in it we read about God, the Father of all mercies, the God of all comfort. We read in this book about the Holy Spirit who's called the Comforter, the Helper, the one who comes alongside us. And he often does that by bringing to our minds the promises of the Scriptures. And the, as we put on the truth, it instructs us and teaches us and helps us to be instructors and teachers of fellow Christians and it helps us to direct sinners to Christ. 
go to Jesus Christ, of whom you read in the Holy Scriptures. So the belt is the Bible. It's God's word. Gives us stability. Gives us security. Helps us to grow as Christians into mature Christians. It teaches us that we do not depend on our feelings, but we depend on what God has said. Fill your mind with the Bible. If you want to be a strong Christian, if you want to be uh, fighting against Satan successfully, fill your mind and heart with the scriptures. That means you have to read them every day or, or listen to them. You can't, you're not very good at reading. Well, you can listen to them on your iPad, on your, uh, on your, on your, your um, iPhone, on your computer, laptop. You can listen to the Bible. So there's no excuse not to be familiar with the Bible, not to fill your mind with it. So, the belt is also sincerity. What you see is what you get when you look at a sincere Christian. Sincerity. Living what I believe. What I believe I live. And that gives me a clear conscience before God. So I can go to God and pray to God and he will accept me and he will listen to me. I do not feel, oh, I'm such a bad sinner. Though we will feel that sometimes. But if we try to keep our conscience clear before God, living by what he says in his word, we can go to God and pray with confidence, knowing that he will listen to us and that he will answer our prayers. Now, if your children, those who've got children or grandchildren, they come to you asking for a favour and they've been very naughty. You say you can't expect a favour, you can't expect some extra pocket money, you can't expect this special treat we were planning. If you're being very naughty, you've got to behave yourself. You've got to show that you really uh, want the favour. And, uh, and so God says to us, if you really want me to answer prayer, if you really want me to be with you, then you have to be sincere. You have to keep your conscience clear before me. You have to have a clear conscience and, uh, and, and not your uh, a conscience burdened with guilt. We sin, yes. Well, we must go at once to God through Christ and we must confess our sins. How can we keep our conscience clear from sin. How can we be sincere? Well, it means you take seriously passages such as the Sermon on the Mount, which is Christ's explanation of the Old Testament Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. But in Matthew 5, 6 and 7, we have what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And I would suggest that you often read through it. And you examine your life by it. Well, uh, you remember those Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5, the blessed sayings. Well, you go through passages like this uh, to keep your conscience clear. You, you read there about the uh, blessed are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and so on. Well, am I poor in spirit? It speaks of humility. It speaks of an awareness of my sinfulness before God. Or am I proud? The opposite of that is to be proud and arrogant. 
Am I mourning because of my sin? Am I meek? Uh, am I hungering and thirsting for righteousness? And you go on, salt and light. Well, am I like the salt? The world around is corrupting. It's corruption. Uh, am I being poured out like salt? Am I like the light in a dark world? Am I keeping the light clean and clear so that I'm directing people to the Lord Jesus Christ who said I am the light? So it's about anger. Just a word uh, of uh, anger. He says it's equal to murder. How am I getting on with my attitude to other people, the way I speak? And he says if you look un with uncleanness, a man looks at uncleanness, the woman, and the other way around as well. Well, that he says is adultery. How am I getting on there? What am I doing with my eyes? Am I keeping my eyes clean? Am I keeping my thoughts clean? In this way you examine yourself, you keep your conscience clear before God. And where there's failure, well, then you pray to God for forgiveness. And, and for the blood of Jesus to wash you clean. Or we can read through passages such as 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the great love chapter. Read this on your knees. If you want to have a clear conscience before God, if you want to be sincere, the belt of truth, sincerity, Remember what the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 13? Love is patient and kind. Am I kind? Patient and kind? Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Oh dear. How irritable I can get at times. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The good way to read that is to put your own name <coughs> So I would read it like this. Stan is patient and kind. Stan does not envy your... But oh dear. That makes it very personal, doesn't it? It's not simply love as a kind of abstract idea. It is, am I patient and kind? Am I really patient and kind with my wife? with those in my family, with those at work, with those at school. And this way we keep our conscience clear before God. The belt of truth, yes, it's God's word, but God's word says that you must be sincere, you must be living Bibles, you must live what you believe, you must not be an hypocrite, you must not be playing at being a Christian, you must really be a Christian all the time. And we keep our conscience clear before God by reading and reflecting on Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6 and 7, 1 Corinthians 13, you could go to Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, choose patience, endurance and so on. Am I keeping my conscience clear before God? And also sincerity talks about keeping our conscience, I think, it talks about keeping our conscience clear before other people. Can I look somebody in the eye? And think, yes, I have, by God's grace, as best as a sinner on earth can, lived by what I believe. Can someone look at me and say, you're not genuine, you're a phony. Isn't that what some people say? Oh, your church is full of hypocrites. Why don't you go to church? Well, because I'm as good as anybody in your church. 
And they say, I've known people who go to church who have been very irritable, self-righteous, critical, judgmental. And I don't want to be like that. But we should have a clear conscience before God and before other people. The people we work with, the people in our families. We should have a clear conscience. And that is to put on the belt of truth. No one should be able to say that that member of Potton Baptist Church is a hypocrite. They say one thing but do another. They're always pushing the Bible down my throat, but they're not genuine. Look at the way they live. Look at the way they treat us at work. Look at the way they treat their family. Look at the way he treats his wife. Look at the way the wife treats her husband. Boy, if that's Christianity, then it's not worth anything. And it isn't. To the belt of truth, yes, it's confidence in God's word that every word of scripture is what God has said. But God has said that those who are true Christians will be sincere. They will, by God's grace, be holy. They will seek to be the very best Christians they can on earth. This is all what's wrapped up in this metaphor, this picture, this illustration of the belt. Putting on the belt of truth. So is that what you're doing each day? Putting on this belt of truth. Yes, I believe every word of God's, what God has said. And I know I can come to him. And, and by his grace I will keep my conscience clear before him. And I know that I can go off to my place of work. Or into my family, wherever I am in the day. With a conscience clear also before people. That's very important. If people are to take us seriously, and take the Bible seriously, take Bottom Baptist Church seriously, or for me, Welling Evangelical Church seriously, they've got to see Christians who live what they believe. They've got to see living Bibles. Most people won't read the Bible. Well, we've got to be the Bible for them. We've got to be living Bibles, walking Bibles, walking uh, examples of what a Christian is, commending the Saviour whom we love by the way we live, in an attitude, and so on, among unbelievers. But then he goes on to the um, breastplate. And, and just before I go on to that, uh, again, go and read the context. It's talking about wives and husbands, children and parents. It's talking about our role in the workplace. And it's in those areas that we need to have a clear conscience. It's very important to put the Christian soldier in the context of Ephesians 5 through to 6. Okay, the breastplate. What is the breastplate? Having, verse 14, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, look at the piece of armour and then at its spiritual meaning. The breastplate was a tough leather smock covering the soldier's chest, so we call breastplate, we would call chest plate maybe, uh, it was metal enforced in the front, and it went all the way around the body to the back. Now I read about a previous member of this church who heard a sermon where the man said, preaching on the Christian's armour, you mustn't run away because there's no armour for your back. Well, <laughs> Maybe it was a good point to make, but it wasn't very uh, biblical because the breastplate of righteousness covered the whole of the front, the whole of the back as well. So 
whenever those arrows with fire on them were thrown at you, they uh, could not get through the uh, breastplate. It was guarding the heart and the liver, the important vital bodily organs of the soldier. So he had to have on the breastplate or it was death. He dare not go into the battlefield without the breastplate firmly fixed and the belt wrapped about him. If he didn't, he would be dead pretty soon. What then is the spiritual meaning? Why does Paul say that we as Christians, soldiers, must put on the breastplate? Well, the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, as I understand it, it means rightness with God and right living. Now again, the writers on this passage say, oh, oh, this is, this is right rightness with God. Uh, oh, but others say, no, no, it is uh, right living, holy living. But again, why not combine the two? That's what I want to do. I think it means rightness with God, being right with God, and it means displaying that we are really right with God by right living, by the way that we live. Now let's go to the bank and to the clothes shop to understand what we were like before we were Christians, or what we are like if we're not Christians, and why we need the breastplate of righteousness, why we need to be right with God. So, before you became a Christian, you're like someone heavily in debt. And if you're getting the debt, it's very difficult to get out of it, isn't it? There was a time when I had a Barclay card, I found I was using it too much. Beginning to get in debt. So, I took the scissors and cut the thing up. That was it. No more Barclay card, pay off what we owe, that's it. It's over and done with. And we won't be getting into debt again. Because you get into debt, you go deeper and deeper and deeper, don't you? So, but that's what we were like before we were Christians. We were in debt. It's as if we had a huge overdraft. It's as if we were spending next week's or next month's wages before we got them. And having to borrow and always having to pay back. How are we in debt? Before we were Christians, how were we in debt? We're in debt to love God, to serve God, the God who made us, the God who created us. He had our rights to demand that we should love him and yield our lives to him. And we were in debt. We could not love him as we really ought to. We could not obey him as he demanded that we should. He says you should be holy. We knew that we never could be holy. And we were in debt. And the harder we tried to get out of this spiritual debt, the deeper we got into it. We were falling into a big pit. But the good news is that Christ has paid the debt. It's like somebody coming along and talking to you and you say, I'm in a lot of debt, I don't know what to do. As if this, imagine it's your rich uncle, if you're blessed with such a person. Imagine you've got a rich uncle comes along and says, Oh dear, you are in a mess, aren't you? He looks at your gas bills, electric bills, other bills and things you paid on credit and you shouldn't have done. What a mess you've got into. Look, he says, I'll write a cheque and we'll clear it all off. That's it. We'll pay a cheque for the gas, electric, the other bills. We'll clear all the debt completely. That's it. You've got nothing to pay. You never will be able to pay me. But I'll, I'll deal with it myself. And that's what Christ has done. He has shed his blood. The blood of Christ is the price tag 
on his forgiveness. Acceptance with God is through Christ paying the debt. Through Christ's blood being shed to cancel out the debt of love and obedience. Because he loved Christ perfectly. He obeyed God perfectly. We can never do that. And then he shed his blood. And he says to his father, O Lord, accept them. Accept this sinner who comes in repentance because I have paid the price. My blood has been shed. I have died in his place that this sinner might be right with you, that he might have the breastplate of righteousness covering all of his sins. But also, before you're a Christian, you're not only like somebody in heavy debt, but you're like a person homeless on the streets, dressed in rags, begging on the streets. I was down in London recently. It struck me how many people are street are homeless on the streets, just begging. And I thought that's what I was like. Spiritually, I was a beggar. I had nothing. I couldn't contribute anything to my salvation. I couldn't give myself righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. I couldn't deal with my own sin. I was like a beggar. And the old prophet Isaiah says that all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. God looks at us and says, you are filthy. As I looked at these people on the street, I thought, look at them. Their clothes look dirty. The poor things are begging. And I thought, that's like me. My life was filthy because of my sin. I was in rags, tatters, a pauper, a beggar. But the prophet Isaiah says, not only that we were in rags of sin, but that God has given us a robe of righteousness. You see, it's the same idea. The soldier, a breastplate of righteousness. The beggar's given a robe of righteousness. What's that robe? It is Christ holy living for my, on my behalf. It is Christ dying for me as a sinner. And that weaves the robe of righteousness. And God takes away my filthy rags and washes me clean through Christ's blood. And he gives me this robe of righteousness. Acceptance with God. Through Christ. And Christ alone. So it's as if you're walking past a rich man's house. It's your rich uncle again. And he comes out and sees you in your dirty clothes outside the palace. This time the rich man's become a king. It's you. Come here. Me? Yes, you. I'm going to give you a new set of clothes and take away all those dirty clothes. I want you to come into my palace. I want you to sit at my table and, and there's food, food more than enough for you. What? I haven't eaten like that for, for a long time. Ah, but here it is. Here's a feast. Sit at the table. 
I'll adopt you into my family. You are my heir. Everything I have is yours. That's what God says to us in Christ. You were beggars, but now you're rich. You've become princes. God accepts you as his own. That's what happens. This is the breastplate of righteousness. It's God giving you his son who is sinless. It's God accepting you through Christ his son who died for sinners like you and me on a cross. Do you think God will accept you because of what you have done? Or who you are? What you've achieved? Do you think God will accept you because of your church going and your religion and your morality? <laughs> You're on the wrong track. God says, I will only accept you through my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for sinners. So once we've got this robe of righteousness, it saves us from death and despair. You see that breastplate protected the Roman soldier from death. It's covering his heart so that the arrows can't get through to his heart. They get through to his heart, he's dead. And so the breastplate of righteousness saves us from death. We're spiritually dead until Christ makes us alive and gives us the robe of Christ's righteousness. And this righteousness is essential for spiritual life. So you must rely on Christ and Christ alone. Not on your achievements, not on your deeds, not on how good you've lived. No, no, you must rest, you must rest and depend on Christ and Christ alone. But this robe of righteousness, this breastplate of righteousness, here in Ephesians, it also saves us from despair. <coughs> because you see, the, Christ, the devil will come to the enemy of our souls. We've been thinking about him this morning from verse 12. The devil will come, or one of his demons, and he will say, when you've sinned as a Christian, when you know you've not prayed enough, you've not read your Bible enough, and you never will, the devil will come and say, ah, oh, but what a poor, feeble Christian you are. There you were, singing your hymns on Sunday. Look at you today, getting irritable and angry with your wife, with your husband, with your mother and father, or your children. Look at you getting so grumpy at work. What kind of impression is that giving of Christianity? And the devil comes at you. He tempts you, and then when he tempts you, and you give in, he accuses you. Call yourself a Christian. You think God's going to love you? You can't go to God, can you? God won't accept you. And sometimes we feel this very acutely when we come and take the bread and wine in the communion. The devil's there, he's sitting there at the Lord's table. And he said, Why, you shouldn't take that bread, you hypocrite. You, such a poor, feeble Christian, you shouldn't take that wine. You'd better go home, haven't you? Ah, oh, but what do you do? The robe of Christ's righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, saves us from despair. Because as the hymn puts it, 
when Satan tempts us to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sins. So when the devil comes, you say, yes, 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 I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not a very good Christian. I know I'm not what I ought to be. But look, look, there's Christ in heaven and he's there for me as my representative. And because Christ is in heaven, God will accept me when I go to him through Christ and Christ alone. God cannot turn me away. God cannot disown me. God can never send me to hell because Christ is in heaven for me and I'm trusting in him. You see how important this breastplate of righteousness is to understand what it means. Saves me from death and despair. Believe me, that's thought has helped me so many times. As a Christian, I've often felt I've failed. I've often felt as I've preached a sermon and then I've sinned against God offended somebody said some unkind word and I thought oh dear I shouldn't be preaching at all should I? I should be sitting there listening to the sermon and the devil's never very far away ah you preacher it's about time you lived what you preached isn't it and I say look look Christ is there it doesn't depend on what kind of preacher I am good or bad or somewhere in between no no it depends on Christ Christ alone was life for me that's what matters and so this breastplate of righteousness speaks of rightness with God being right with God through Christ but it also speaks of right living you see the evidence I really am wearing the breastplate of righteousness, the evidence that I really am a Christian, trusting in Christ alone, is that my life will be changed. You can't be a Christian without a changed life. You can't just make some kind of decision. It's not just taking Jesus into my heart. That's not biblical language at all. No, no, if I'm trusting Christ, then my life will be changed. It cannot help but be changed. It's the very, the, the inevitable result of being clothed with the righteousness of Christ, with uh, having on the breastplate of righteousness, that I begin to think right. I begin to do what's right. I want to please God. And, and this is above all things in my thoughts to please God as much as I can as a sinner on earth. And so, although we're not sinless yet, we will be one day, but not yet, but nevertheless, we begin to hate sin. The things we once loved, we begin to hate. And we want to fight against them. We want to defeat them. We want to be more like God. We want to be more like Christ. If you don't want to be like Christ, then you're not a Christian. If you don't want to be more like God, then you're not a Christian. It's nonsense to say you're a Christian if you do not want to be like God. If your life is not being changed, you're not a Christian. It's not good all your talk. No, no, you're not a Christian. If you're not a different person, a changed person, if you're not a better wife, a better husband, a better father, a better mother, a better child, then you're not a Christian. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. 
That's pretty demanding, isn't it? But remember, be strong in the Lord and uh, get it right here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. God's power. By his Holy Spirit living in me can help me to live a different kind of life. So the breastplate of righteousness is rightness with God and it is right living. Now, to give you a bit of theology, don't worry, just simply means doctrine. To give you a bit of theology. Rightness with God is what we call imputed righteousness. It's as if I had lived a righteous life. All of Christ's holy life is put into my bank account. So I'm no longer a pauper. Imputed righteousness. Christ died in my place. It's as if he were the uh, bankrupt. As if he were the beggar. And I have now, it's as if I have now been rich. I am rich with God's grace. There's a great exchange. He takes my sin, I take his righteousness. But right living is what we call imparted righteousness. Imputed righteousness. Imparted righteousness. I begin to be righteous by God's power through his spirit living in me. By beginning to take seriously the word of God, the belt of truth. Well, we're in a fight. We need our belt. We need our breastplate. And you're going to need all of these weapons, all of this armor, for every day of your life as a Christian till you reach heaven. And look, there's a wonderful verse in Ephesians 5, right in the middle of that section about wives and husbands. It tells us this that uh, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But why did Christ give himself for his bride, the church, believers? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. What's all that about? Well, it's, it's a different picture. In Ephesians 6, it's the Christian in his armour. It's the soldier. In Ephesians 5, it is the bride. It, you, we're at a wedding now. And here comes the bride. What a beautiful wedding dress. Oh, oh no. The bride looks at the wedding dress and, and there's a, a stain on it. What will the bridegroom say? What will all the guests say if they look at me and see a stain there? Well, that's what we're like now as the church, as believers. It's as if we've got a wedding dress, but you've got a stain on it. Oh, but he says that one day we're going to be a splendid church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. On that day, Every stain will be washed away. Every imperfection, all unrighteousness, all sin will be washed away from our hearts. 
and we will be splendid, splendid and glorious in the Lord's presence. At last the bride will be what she ought to be. At last we will be free from the battle and the temptations and the trials and the sorrow and the grief and so on. Oh, what a day that will be. I was reading one Thessalonians, two Thessalonians recently, and there he says that, that on that day when Christ comes, he will be, that the church will be admired. The glory of Christ will be seen in the church. We will be admired. It will be a breathtaking wonder, says one translation. Oh, you'll get me talking about heaven and I could go on for a long time. The older I get, I think I'm still young, but the older I get, the more I think about heaven. And the more I think I've lived most of my life on earth. And one day I'm going to see the Saviour. And then I'll realise, in a way I can't realise yet, what he has done for me. To save me from my sins. What he has suffered. How patient and kind he has been with me through my life. So there's the belt and the breastplate of righteousness. I wonder what the shoes mean. I wonder what the shield of faith means. I wonder what the helmets of salvation and the sword of the spirit means. Well, I'm back again in a month and I'll deal with some more of the harm, the armour. And I'm back again the month after that. So you have some more of Ephesians 6 and the armour. Read the chapter. Think about it. Pray about it. Think about what we've looked at today in the two sermons. Listen to them again if you want to remember some of the things you've heard. And uh, it's a wonderful chapter. What are you to do then? Okay, there's the sermon. There's two sermons, morning, evening, on this chapter. What are you to do? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Go, go and fight in God's might and strength. Never, 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 never give up fighting. God is with you. Keep your eyes on heaven when you'll be perfect and sinless at last. Why do we don't feel like saying amen you ought to? Okay, let's pray and then we'll sing. So our Lord, our God, we thank you then for this chapter here in Ephesians. Thank you that Paul wrote it as he was there in the prison and reminded us that we are Christian soldiers. And may we really seriously think about what we've been learning today in these two sermons. And may we be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. May we each day remember that there is a war and we must put on our armour and we must pray to you to give us strength. In Jesus' name, Amen.